Hello and welcome to the Radical News Radio Hour with Serene Saade. You're listening to WFNU LP St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM. Thanks to Manny Mestas for that opening music and just a reminder that you can find the Radical News Radio Hour on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at C Miriam at C M-I-R-I-A-M, and you can listen to previously aired episodes of this show on Spotify and Google Podcasts, amongst many other podcast sites. You can also reach our show at RadicalNewsRadioHour at gmail.com with tips, recommendations, and any questions. Today's episode is going to open up with a discussion of the legislative special session that is currently underway. Ileana Mejia, who is a public policy leader in community, will be on air discussing the intersections of bonding and what bonding is and why it matters and equity. After our interview with Ileana, we'll move on to a discussion on police abolition and legislative responses to police reform. We're going to jump right into our legislative interview with Ileana. Just to note, Ileana discusses a racial equity and joy pre-coalition in her interview. It's a pre-coalition that I'm proud to also be a part of through my work as the executive director of The Uptake, which is a community news organization. It's a pre-coalition that uh, held an event on February 29, pre-social distancing, in North Minneapolis at Pillsbury United Communities Oak Park Community Center. That event on bonding and equity um, was a wonderful introduction to the topic, and there are clips from that event discussing uh, bonding on the Uptakes YouTube page. Um, you can check it out for more information on bonding. And now on to the interview. Hi, Ileana. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. How are you doing? Thanks, Serene, for having me. I'm doing great. I can't complain. It's a beautiful day outside. It is. I'm um, I'm really grateful for these 90-degree days. Uh, <laughs> I sense some sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, it's just a little humid for me. Um, so I'm so glad that we're able to speak about this special session today. Um, as you know, today's episode focuses on both the bonding and equity discussion and then also police accountability. Um, but in terms of special session, how did we get here? Yeah, so we are a divided legislature at the state level. So the House is currently controlled by Democrats, and the Senate is currently controlled by Republicans. Um, and so with any, ses uh, with any session that we have, um, there's going to be a lot of um, disagreement and debates about what we're going to pass, whether it's related to elections or um, the budget or other policies um, that, you know, it's hard to agree on when you're dealing with two parties. And so um, we were expected to pass a good amount of things this year, you know, that were bipartisan and other things that were going to be, um, like I know that, you know, the, the GOP had their own agenda and the, the DFL had their own agenda. And so there could have been some other 
agreements. But, I mean, for the most part, I think everyone kind of came into the session thinking it was going to be busy. Um, and that's how it started. But then the coronavirus pandemic happened, and that kind of really just, like, flipped things upside down. What ended up happening was that we basically, I would say, adjourned um, midway through, uh, stopped doing in-person um, in-person sessions and um, like committee hearings and whatnot for safety of everyone who works at the Capitol and for lobbyists as well and, you know, community members. And the focus was on coronavirus, and it was very bipartisan for the majority of the majority of the time and then um so a lot of a lot of legislation was focused on coronavirus funding and making sure that you know uh, hospitals had what they needed that um, certain communities were going to have more support than others etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, but then whenever the legislature if you will came back to doing more hearings and um you know pass, talking about the big things we need to pass before session ends like the bonding bill or more coronavirus funding, or, you know, early pay for um, workers in the schools, there was a lot of disagreements. And so by the time session ended in mid-May, there wasn't a lot of agreements. And I think it has to do a large part with being so socially distant from everyone. You know, a lot of times negotiations happen at the Capitol with the leadership, but that wasn't able to happen because everyone's working from home. And so we, you know, adjourned the session. Um, it's in our constitution that we had to be done with it by, I believe, the first Monday. It's like the third Monday in May. And so that happened. And so uh, because the governor wanted to also extend his um, executive order powers, if you will, he needed to call another special – Here, I'm sorry, not another. He needed to call a special session on June 12th so that he could continue having his executive order powers. And we figured, or I shouldn't say we, but he um, and legislature leadership had figured that this would be a great time to start thinking about more coronavirus funding, the bonding bill, and, um, and now that with recent events in George Floyd being killed by Minneapolis police, um, they're focusing on police uh, reform right now as well. A lot of things rolled into one. Here we are. <laughs> so we're going to, this episode is going to focus a lot on the police accountability legislation, but I would love to hear from you about what bonding and equity means and what you as uh, a policy leader are, are saying needs to be considered as legislators take on this topic of the bonding bill. Yeah, so... As part of an organization that is mostly white-led, very white-dominant, we came together with another couple organizations um, that were also white-led, white-dominant organizations that do a lot of policy work at the Capitol. And so we came together um, to form a pre-coalition to think about what would racial equity look like at the Capitol, um, through legislation, um, and of course, doing this in partnership with BIPOC-led organizations. And we decided to focus on bonding because um, on even years, 
bonding is a priority for state legislature. And it's bonding is for um, basically the, the it's capital investment project that's going to better all of Minnesota, if you will. So they're focusing on infrastructure, um, like, you know, highways and um, public buildings, if you will. And so we figure that because bonding impacts everyone, it would be really smart to focus on this because we could have some, some impact this session. And so I didn't really know too much about bonding before this coalition came together, but I've been, you know, reading and learning about this with, you know, other organizations and a few state agencies about bonding. And so, you know, bonding is a secret handshake, if you will. You know, not too many people are familiar with it if you're not in the policy uh, world. And even if you are, it's still very um, not a receptive welcoming space for people, you know, bonding is, you know, state, like capital, um, I'm sorry, bonding is whenever a city or like a local municipality was like, hey, you know, our highway is really not doing too good right now. We should really invest in it. So we're going to ask the state for $2 million for this, knowing that they have to match that $2 million. So then you need to make sure you put in your project probably about, you know, I've heard anywhere between six to seven months before the session starts that you're going to want to put your bonding project in. And then this way you can have legislators and, you know, the governor tour the highway and see why it needs to be repaired. And so the process is very exclusive. And so we were thinking of, ways of making it inclusive and so we um, you know this is reaching out to BIPOC led organizations um, to let them know about bonding and to share with them this process it's reaching out to um, community members so that they're aware of this so that they can push this information to their legislators because maybe their legislators aren't pushing for the funding in their community so it's really just making this process excuse me inclusive for all you know from policy, um, from policy folks like myself to uh, city councils to community members. It's really just trying to um, increase the visibility of bonding and what it means and how it could impact and shape our communities. Mm-hmm. So what's been happening this special session? I know a lot of the discussion has been on Police accountability, but what's the status of um, the the bonding bill, the governor's bonding bill, and any of this equity-centered bonding legislation that's being discussed? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So this is my to be okay. To be completely transparent, everyone listening, this is my first session at uh, in Minnesota state level. So I am learning a lot myself. So this is coming from a noob. So um, so with that, I'll say that the governor has released, so he released his bonding bill, I think in May of, you know, May during when we were in a regular session, you know, and I don't know how much his was. And then you have the, you know, the House Democrats released, or I shouldn't say the House Democrats, but you have like House released their bonding bill because they're a majority, so they get to release what they want to. 
Um, and then you have the Senate release their bonding bill. And they're all very different. And that's exactly what it is right now. Um, so the governor had re-released his bonding bill. He's asking for about $2.3 billion in capital investment projects around the state. And the Senate did release their bonding bill, and that one is about $1.1 billion, if you will. Now, I don't know the status of the House bonding bill. I don't know if the governor is – the governor in the House, like, released one bill that will be, like, their version, and then the Senate has their version, and they kind of have to work together. Um, so, again, that's why I'm saying I'm new to this. I'm not really sure what the process is, but it seems that the Senate and the uh, governor's bill does seem to put some love in the Twin Cities for uh, the properties that had got destroyed whenever there was uh, the fires and looting taking place. Mm-hmm. So they're hoping to adjourn session on Friday. So we basically have about two days to uh, come to an agreement between the House and the Senate and hoping that everyone gets what they want and hoping that it's very equitable, that they're, you know, paying close attention to BIPOC-led organizations and businesses that were hurt during the fires and looting. So we'll we'll see. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, possible... They won't adjourn on Friday, so they'll have more time. But as of right now, it looks like time is of the essence. Yeah. Um, You know, I I think the thing about this special session is how little people know about all of the things that are happening. I was even listening to a committee meeting from two days ago where two representatives were arguing over whether or not a bill that they were discussing was the bill that they had said they were going to be discussing. Um, Oh, wow. I mean, it's a messy it's a messy yeah. session. Um, I also think the fact that the, the governor was saying that you know the Senate wants to adjourn on Friday, but he will call them. He will call a special session again yeah. if they don't, you know, come to an equitable agreement. I heard that too, and I think um, I think that's very bold of him to say that because clearly he's going to ruffle some feathers of some members who do not want to come back for a special session because we also have to realize that all state elections are up for re-election this year. Or, Mm -hmm. sorry, that might not have made sense. All legislators are up for re-election this year in Minnesota Mm -hmm. for state legislature. And so the quicker they get this done, the faster they can get out and start campaigning. So I can see why some people aren't wanting a special session to go past Friday um, and understanding that it's because they want to work on their campaign, but also things need to get done. Um, And so we're not on your time. Uh, We're on people of Minnesota's time, you know, and and we need to get some things done. We can't, you know, sit around and just hope that, you know, leadership figures this out. I think this is an all-in all hands in type deal right now. You know, we need every legislator out there pushing for a reform and pushing for, you know, coronavirus funding that helps folks um, and just a bonding bill again um, because that's really, you know, that's that's what we do focus on and it shouldn't be any different this year. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you so much for speaking with me today. You provided a lot of clarity and a lot of important updates for us as we try and make sense of what often cannot be made sense of. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's my pleasure. You know, I, I really do like talking about this stuff. I, You know, I like I said, I'm learning a lot, and it seems that I could probably write a book on <laughs> my first session uh, in Minnesota because this session has been just very um, different than, you know, in years past, of course, just because you're usually at the Capitol. And that's another um and something else I want to throw out there as well is that whenever this, something like this happens, a special session, right, we're mostly in person. We're at the Capitol. We're talking to other lobbyists. You know, we have a friend who, you know, might work at, you know, this place so we can get some intel there. You know, it's very much like making connections and being in person and talking to folks. And so, I would say that one of the reasons why a lot of people don't know what's happening this session is because we're not physically at the Capitol. That's what I've been told. Um, I can only imagine how much information we would know if we were all in person. But being Mm -hmm. all at our house, you're really going to rely on Twitter and what you hear on press conferences. Mm -hmm. So, again, not very inclusive, not very um, welcoming to folks who don't know this process. Thanks to Ileana for joining us today. It's so important for all of us that we're highlighting the work of black and brown folk, particularly those working in traditionally and historically white spaces like the Minnesota State Capitol. Ileana is a powerhouse public policy leader, and I'm excited that she was able to join us today. Just a reminder that you're listening to the Radical News Radio Hour on WFNU, LP, St. Paul, Frogtown Community Radio, 94.1 FM. You can find us on Facebook by just searching Radical News Radio Hour. You can find us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. You can tweet me at cmiriam, and you can email us at radicalnewsradiohour at gmail.com. Up next on the program, we're discussing police abolition and legislative responses to police reform. The murder of George Floyd by a former Minneapolis Police Department cop, helped to brighten a flame that has been burning in Minneapolis for years. Work that had been happening in community to abolish the police or defund the police or dismantle or reform the police department, those four things aren't the same, uh, same though. And, and we need to know what those are before we can know what work is happening in the streets and in the halls of the state capitol. An NBC article published on June 8th, uh, which is titled Calls to Reform, Defund, Dismantle, and Abolish the Police Explain, details some of the differences between these approaches. Um, Just really briefly, defunding the police redistributes police funding, and it can be a step towards police abolishment, but not necessarily. Abolishing the police calls for the end to the police, which as an institution was launched in the late 1800s as a means to control uh, communities and specifically black communities after slavery was ended and the creation um, and it also calls for the creation of new community centered community safety models um, police reform is the most mainstream which is often focused on community policing and reforms to police policy during the summer special session which opened on June 12th groups within the Minnesota State Legislature um, have been attempting to take on the topic of police reform 
Following the rebellion that broke out following Floyd's murder, the Minneapolis City Council had agreed to dismantle the police. Other communities in major American cities, including Camden, New Jersey, have defunded the police. And many community organizers and community groups in Minneapolis-St. Paul are seeking and organizing to abolish the police. We're going to focus on two of those calls during today's episode, police reform and police abolishment. The legislative response to George Floyd's murder was the introduction of three legislative packages from the Posse Caucus, so the People of Color and Indigenous Persons Caucus, which uh, was made up of several bills in different priority areas. Representative Carlos Mariani, a DFLer who represents District 65B in St. Paul, um, a district which includes St. Paul's West Side and downtown St. Paul, introduced the packages in a June 13 committee hearing of the public uh, of the House Public Safety and Criminal Justice Reform Finance and Poli- Policy Division that he chairs. Here's Miriani. Today we're going to hear a presentation of, of the 2020 Minnesota Police Accountability uh, Package of bills. Uh, these will um, these comprise several bills that are organized in three acts. The Reclaiming Community Oversight Act of nine bills, the Reforming Accountability Act of four bills, the Reimagining Public Safety Act of six bills. The bills are all authored by the 13 members of the DFL People of Color Indigenous Legislators Caucus. Um, That comprises of two African-American legislators, two Somali-American legislators, two American Indian legislators, two Latinx uh, legislators, and five Hmong uh, legislators. All of these are members of communities disproportionately negatively impacted by interactions with our law enforcement and correction systems, including the use of force and policing practices. Several of the bills either have already been heard or are mostly based on bills already heard by this committee. Strong testimony from the public has been offered on a number of these bills, as well as some of the concepts and and other bills that have not uh, been heard prior uh, to to, uh, this hearing. This committee has acted for reforms meant to avoid the killing of George Floyd. But tragically, and I would say, frankly, irresponsibly, uh, that action has not been met by our colleagues in the other body without so much as a hearing. My hope is that our work today um, and throughout the special session will finally move that body to meet their duty to true public safety. Members of uh, members, this committee have planned to meet in this special session in order to repass the finance bill that meets the essential funding of our state's public safety and correction agencies. Uh, The Senate had failed uh, to uh, pass those provisions in the regular session, so we were already scheduled to meet uh, to do that. However, today we meet under a more urgent charge because everything changed in the state of Minnesota and frankly, all across the nation on the evening of May 25th, when in Minneapolis, George Floyd, an American, an African-American man, was cruelly killed as the public watched in horror over the course of over eight minutes by a white male police officer along with three other officers. That public killing by an agent of our government shocked and enraged our citizenry 
who took to the streets in public protests, exercising their First Amendment rights to tell one another, to tell us, their elected lawmakers, they were not any longer going to accept a policing system which easily uses that kind of use of force with impunity. And that does so in the lack of humanity and lack of respect for black lives. And the thousands of Minnesotans who protested came together, united across race, class, gender, and geography to assert the common Minnesota value of affirming life and human decency. So here we are today to respond to the call of our fellow citizens and to do so by affirming that George Floyd's life mattered. George Floyd, a Minnesota son, a Minnesota father, a Minnesota brother. Our society, our democracy is only possible when we claim a bond to one another. As lawmakers, our duty is to strengthen that bond. And so I want our talk today to be about how we do that. The bills before us offer several important principles and understandings toward that end. One, that the wrongdoing of individuals should always be held to account. Two, that the systems that regulate, guide, authorize the practices of law enforcement create, shape, nurture the opposite of what all Minnesotans saw on the street pavement the evening of May 25th. Three, that both individuals and systems be powerfully centered on the reality of racism, especially that of anti-Black racism, and make themselves agents of anti-racism. And four, that we, a free people, have the power to imagine and create a different, better system of public safety. In fact, we have the duty to always do that. And so to close my opening comments, I will offer this observation. This is not the first time that we've arrived at this moment. It may feel that way, uh, particularly in the height of incredible passion and action and mixed emotions and mixed uh, activities. It's not the first time. It's not even the second time or just the third time or frankly, the 10th time or more times. We saw this in Minnesota on June 21st of 2017. We saw this on November 15th of 2015. Our nation saw it in Ferguson, Missouri, in New York City, in Chicago, in LA. It would take me all day to list how often we have seen this and how often we have failed to preserve lives. And how often we fail to respond to the need to transform what underlies all of this. What we must do and how to do it. So let's not make the same mistake is my plea and my advice to my fellow colleagues, to my fellow legislators. Let's not make the same mistake and do only the little things. Individual policy change is good, but we owe it to this moment in history to, to also work for larger systems change. 
These bills are only a start, but let's start. Let's lean in, let's listen, and let's be bold. Several of the legislative efforts um, that Representative Mariani discussed have yet to be heard, uh, heard in the state Senate. And Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka, who represents um, District 9, which includes Cass, Morrison, Todd, and Wadena counties, says that at this, the time that this episode was pre-recorded, um, that the Senate intends to adjourn on Friday regardless of the House. In response, Governor Walls has said he will call the Senate back into special session. Um, so that, that back and forth is continuing. Um, however, community organizers like Merjan Sirdir, who uh, want to see more than police reform, they want to see police abolishment. Uh, Merjan was um, a history and social studies teacher with Minneapolis Public Schools, um, whose focus was black history. He lives in the Bryant neighborhood, just four blocks or so from the site where uh, George Floyd was murdered. Um, he's worked with and organized with different communities and groups organizing for police, abol uh, police abolishment in Minneapolis. Um, and he doesn't think that a legislative response can do anything but distract from the bigger goal of police abolishment. Here's Mirjan. I definitely think that our focus needs to stay on grassroots community organizing. I, I don't pay much attention to what happens at the Capitol because in my mind, they're pretty uh, illegitimate um, and they're just begging to be removed from office. Um, but the, the empire is going to exhaust all resources to save itself. We know that. Uh, so, you know, again, I said I'm a history teacher, social studies teacher, and black history has been my focus. And I know the history of policing from its inception was to terrorize black communities among other communities. Uh, and that's not a system that can be reformed, sugar-coated, or dressed up. You can't, um, you know, you put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. So at the end of the day, uh, this, this police force in America, not just Minneapolis, so the Minneapolis police are no exception. So, you know, we, we see our city council members try to lift up the police department as a shield to save their own, but, um, but nobody's, nobody I know is really falling for it. Um, and at the end of the day, it's not the Minneapolis Police Department. It is, it is policing in general as an institution that needs to be abolished. And it, it is becoming more and more clear to the masses who the police really are mm -hmm. that black and native and brown communities have always known. They are the enforcers of racial poverty, racial inequality. Mm -hmm. It is the violent force of the state to continue the transference of wealth from black and brown bodies to white communities, mm -hmm. right? Let's, let's, let's call it what it is. And the police department is the formal, uh, you know, repressive force to keep capital flowing in one direction. And mm -hmm. we're calling BS on all of it, and it's time to end all of it. Mm -hmm. um, so nothing short of completely dismantling these institutions is acceptable. Marjan urges politicians to move swiftly to abolish the police and to not play politics with people's lives. Here's Marjan again talking about the ways in which uh, politicians are legitimizing the police violence and systems of violence. 
I think, I mean, I, I think it's beautiful how the movement bounces from one city to the other, how we feed each other and learn from one another. So I'm paying attention to what's happening in Seattle with the autonomous zone as far as, um, I mean, as well as protesters taking over City Hall, demanding resignations for the mayor. Um, I'm watching, obviously, what's happening in Atlanta, taking over um, the streets. And in New York, they took over precincts after they saw Minneapolis do it. And so it's it's amazing to see the people power. And folks will never forget their power. Uh, and I think it's our job to make sure people never forget. And so so I think what's next, you know, I'm hearing a groundswell uh, call for resignations in Minneapolis, beginning with Mike Freeman uh, and Mayor Jacob Fry. And, you know, I saw there was a lot of pressure from the very beginning to get Freeman to resign. And we were, including myself, putting pressure on our local officials who have been on our side in many ways, uh, such as Representative Aisha Gomez. And her response was to organize a group of state reps to put pressure to shift the case from Freeman to Attorney General Keith Ellison. And so that was, you know, that sounded good at first. Um, but, of course, many people also said, well, Freeman can't handle any other cases either. Like his confidence, the public confidence is zero. And so since that happened, it, to me, it, it, it's, it's very clear that these politicians who have been allies of our struggle have been hoodwinked, right? Ellison is working with Freeman. They're working together. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, Ellison is legitimizing Freeman, who is completely illegitimate and needs to step down yesterday. Uh, so I, I, I think, you know, these politicians, the, the more time that passes, uh, you know, the, the response from the grassroots is going to be more unforgiving. And, you know, this is, again, this is work that folks have been doing for a long time, trying to prevent this very moment from happening. So, again, every day that passes, if there's not complete uprooting of this corrupt system, uh, the blood is on their hands, the mm-hmm. politicians' hands. Merjan has done uh, a lot of work with a number of community organizations that are doing work to abolish the police, and he urges folks to get involved with the work in a legitimate way that respects the voices of black people who suffer the most from police violence. He recommends resources like the MPD 150 report as well, which I'll talk a little bit about after this next bit from Merjan. And I'm so grateful that he was able to join us on air and to sit with us and to share his really incredibly important perspective about what it means um, to abolish the police and why abolishing the police is such an important conversation to be having right now. But everybody should read the MPD 150 report. It's available online. You could download a PDF and there's also audio version to download So this was a 150-year performance review done by a group of activists, as well as, I believe, scholars and artists and 
so it was it was a beautiful project and they're in the pro- they're in the process of updating it but it's something that needs to go to every household in in Minneapolis everybody needs to read it and basically the premise is, is very simple if a business or any organization other than the police had a 150 year track record of behavior of breaking laws of murdering people what would be their fate, right? Um, and so they lay it all out. They spell it all out. Um, so I think that's that's some of the most important work is just really disseminating that sort of information and confirming and, and white allies, especially affirming what black people have been saying this whole time, right? Like plenty of black folks have been saying this the whole time. And folks have ignored us. They've called us agitators, uh, said it was hyperbole. And now these same folks are like, damn, we want to listen now. So that's cool. I'm glad folks are ready to listen. And um, I I would say that's where it starts, listening to black people, listening Mm -hmm. to the experts and um, doing doing your own due diligence um, by listening to the community, right? So the MPD 150 is a perfect example. They they listened to the experts. They interviewed, you know, people in the community uh, who have firsthand experience of being at the receiving end of violence from the same people who are sworn to protect us. So. Mm-hmm. According to their website, MPD 150, Uh, 150.com, and I'm quoting them here. MPD 150 is an independent association of organizers, activists, researchers, and artists that came together in the spring of 2016 in anticipation of the Minneapolis Police Department's 150th anniversary. Again, quoting them, they hope to inspire and support new community initiatives that contribute to a shared vision of a police-free future. The report, which they authored, has five major findings, and again, quoting them, the finding one is, the police were established to protect the interests of the wealthy and racialized violence has always been a part of that mission. Finding two, the police cannot be reformed away from their core function. Finding three, the police criminalize dark skin and poverty channeling millions of people into the prison system, depriving them of voting and employment rights, and thereby preserving privileged access to housing, jobs, land, credit, and education for whites. The police militarize and escalate situations that call for social service intervention, and there are viable existing and potential alternatives to policing for every area in which the police engage. So those are the the five findings there. You can learn more at their website, again, mpd150.com, where you can read the text report or listen to the audio report and learn more about the project as a whole. Just to note, MPD 150 was funded in part by Still Ain't Satisfied, a foundation with Attitude, which has also funded the uptake um, where I work and which sponsored the first month of episodes for this show and provided the legislative audio for us to use. For now, thank you for listening to the Radical News Radio Hour 
on WFNU, LP, St. Paul, Frogtown Community Radio, 94.1 FM. Thanks to Manny Mestas for our opening and closing music. Thanks to The Uptake for sponsoring our first month of episodes. Thanks to WFNU for their support in making this episode happen. Thanks to both Ileana and Merjan for speaking with us today. And just a reminder that you can find the Radical News Radio Hour by just searching Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at C Miriam. Again, that's C M I R I A M. And you can listen to previously aired episodes of this show and this episode on Spotify and Google Podcasts, amongst many other podcast sites. You can also reach our show at radicalnewsradiohour at gmail.com with tips, recommendations, and any questions. Thank you.